Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, this is some kind of wild, wacky market we got going here. We get a ho-hum labor report today, the single most important piece of information the government releases, and investors lap it up. Dow gaining 221 points, S&P climbing 0.70%, NASDAQ falling 0.83%. Once again, this market is downright shocking. The bank stocks have been rallying for days because the economy's red hot. Hot enough that the Fed might have to raise rates repeatedly. The hope of fast-paced rate hikes has been driving the financials higher. And I've repeatedly told you the financials are the most important leadership sector out there. Not tech, not healthcare, not even the industrials, but the FIMS, as we call them, because the best gauge of any economy is the health of the banking system. But once we saw this definitively weaker payroll number with a big job loss in retail, no doubt thanks to Amazon and its online brethren, the industrials and the transports caught fire. The former because maybe the Fed won't strangle the economy with rapid rate hikes, the latter because the transports are intimately connected to e-commerce. Throw in the big pushes from the analyst community on Amazon and Apple, two of the market's generals, and you get an electric tape full of new winners all plumped up to feed the beast. So can the beast continue to charge higher? Well, let's consider the game plan for next week. All right, so Monday is going to be dominated by the kickoff of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in CES, formerly called the Consumer Electronics Show, probably the most significant confabs of the entire year. These two get-togethers routinely move stocks, and I bet this time will be no different. How important are these conferences? Well, this year's CES starts with the most dramatic, exciting speaker in tech today. Fortune Magazine's 2017 Business Person of the Year, Jensen Wong, the CEO of NVIDIA! He's speaking Sunday night to get things started with a bang. And he'll trace out a vision of the cloud. 
of machine learning, of gaming, of cryptocurrencies, and data centers, just about everything else that matters. If you only read one thing about tech this year, you need to get a transcript of this speech. I find Wong to be one of the greatest inspirations out there today, and it'll set the scene for this conference like no other. I bet he colors tech trading with his comments. You can always see a number of stocks ramping in anticipation, Adobe, Broadcom, and many other cloud and semiconductor plays. I like NVIDIA so much that, yes, indeed, I renamed my dog after the company. And that knuckleheaded rescue mutt now walks around the house like he owns the place. Look out! On Monday, NVIDIA's friendly rival, Brian Krasanich, the CEO of Intel, speaks. And I bet he'll put this Intel security risk story to rest, as I think it's a tempest in a teapot. The Honorable Krasanich may be soft-spoken, but he carries a big manufacturing stick. And I'm betting many of the doomsday scenarios about Intel that have been floating around will be debunked and over by Tuesday. Over at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, I'm going to be paying close attention to Brent Saunders, CEO of Allergan. I think he'll trace out a vision of an up 2018, something that some analysts don't believe is possible. Hence, the stock's hideous decline from the 250s last summer to 172 as of today. If Brent, a frequent guest here on Mad Money, tells a good story, I think it could mark the beginning of a new run for Allergan, which makes Botox, along with a bunch of other aesthetic, eye care, and central nervous system drugs. We own this one for my travel trust. You can follow along by joining ActionAlertsPlus.com club. And while we have gotten singed, I still think there's a ton of hidden value here that maybe he will unlock when he speaks on Monday. Tuesday, we could get some dynamite commentary from that J.P. Morgan conference from none other than J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon, who's speaking in his own conference. No, he won't talk about what the company's going to earn. We'll get those results on Friday when the company reports. But I think we'll be able to give the whole market a jolt if he comes to play. And he really does like to come to play. Now, ordinarily, I don't take my cue from little companies like Schnitzer Steel, which reports Tuesday. But these are extraordinary times. Remember, I'm waiting for the Commerce Department to rule that the Chinese are dumping steel to the point where it's in national security interest to block them. When that happens, you're going to see a legion of money managers and commentators coming on TV and tearing their hair out about how we're in for big correction because this will trigger a trade war with China. So any commentary from any steel company right now will give us an inkling about my biggest worry at this moment. And when I say this is my biggest worry, I don't mean a potential trade war. I mean the bogus warnings from faux bulls who are dying for any excuse to turn bearish. Why doesn't the prospect of new steel towers triggering a trade war, uh, why does it frighten me so much? Okay, now I've, I've said it already. We're in a trade war with China, and we've been losing for ages because our leaders like to pretend it isn't happening. Of course, there are good reasons for that. Right now, we've got so many winning companies that do business here, do business in the People's Republic. I mean, look, let's see, GM with that record number, 4 million autos, right? Procter & Gamble, IBM, big business in China, Caterpillar, huge, United Technologies, Otis Elevators, Boeing, you see that horse today up 12? Cummins, major market for them. And their stocks will take a tumble if President Trump gets aggressive about protecting the American steel industry. But the global economy is so strong, I bet they bounce back and you'll get an opportunity. Now, I have been worried about the home builders incorrectly, by the way. I'm worried about the home builders uh, all this week, even ones like KB Homes. It, it's won this up 135% since I started recommending it in 2016, as the analysts who hated the stock have been forced to go from sell to hold to buy to conviction buy under cover of night. 
look, I know that eventually we're going to get a rate hike, not the next one, but maybe one later this year that will finally knock the home builders off their pedestals. In the meantime, though, we're about to hear from both KB and Lennar, and I bet they'll paint a big picture of robust demand, limited supply, higher orders, and rising gross margins, just like Toll Brothers did. See that stock? Wow. Sooner or later, the strength will end. But, yep, not anytime soon, though. Sooner, more likely later. Thursday, I'm looking over to Europe to get a reading on industrial production. I remain a huge bull on Europe, second only to my friend Ken Fisher, an amazing money manager who's predicted both the blow-off in the U.S. and the renaissance of the Eurozone in a series of articles and some talks that we've given together. If you want to play the turn, I recommend the EZU, which is the iShares MSCI Eurozone ETF. That is, I tell ActionAlertsPlus.com club members gives you broad exposure to the continent. Friday, earnings season begins in earnest with numbers from BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, PNC, and Wells Fargo. I think they'll all be spectacular. I want to hear how much index money keeps flowing into BlackRock's coffers. Larry Fink, smart fella, because it's an important prop to the beast that this is this market. J.P. Morgan will likely speak of soaring optimism, not to mention dividends and buybacks. PNC will probably have the biggest upside surprise of any bank. And it can be bought even up here. Wells Fargo, will t- Wells Fargo will tell you that the whole cross-selling imbroglio is behind them, even if it isn't. And what matters is that the net interest margins are going higher and their customers have forgiven them. Given that the Fed will be tightening multiple times this year and the tax rates for all these financials are coming down, I think all of these stocks are buys, particularly if they go down anytime next week. Here's the bottom line. When the market's in beast mode, you need to feed it. You give it a balanced diet of techs from CES, health cares from J.P. Morgan, and bank earnings, and amazingly, they'll just keep surprising you. I need to go to Zane in Nebraska. Zane! Jim, how you doing? A frigid booyah to you. Yeah, Zane, it's a little cold, but that gives you a good chance to buy Canada Goose. What's up? Well, I'm, I'll tell you my stock, Jim. It's PGTI Innovations. And um, I did my research, did my homework, like you, like you tell us. Right. And I found out, I found out about three things real quick. Um, one, a lot of places won't, a lot of banks won't give you a home loan if you don't have these kind of windows, hurricane windows, hurricane doors in right. your place. Right. Insurance companies won't insure you if you don't have it. So not only are these windows made in America, they save lives, they save homes. And I've been it at twelve dollars a share. It's up to sixteen, almost seventeen today. Thirty-three percent increase on my money. Jim, am I on the little train? No, Zane, you are so can, right. I've been I looking at all these. I've been looking at USG. I've been looking at Beacon Roofing. I've been talking to hardware stores and Home Depot and Lowe's people. You got a winner there. You got a winner, and don't let it go. How about Kim in Massachusetts? Kim. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you, Kim? Just fine. Cold here in Massachusetts. True. I'm wondering. I'm wondering about tech resources with this rally in copper. Hasn't tech resources rallied more? It's a breakout. It's a breakout move, and this time it's real. Uh, I think that it's not just China demand, which is what it was before. It's worldwide. Tech works. I need to go to Myron in Arizona, please, Myron. Hi, Jim. Uh, 2017 was a great year for Amicus Therapeutics, which led me to ring the register on some of my shares. Yes. What's your thoughts on going forward into 2018? You know, I I, I follow this company, and they're in niche drug business. It kind of reminds me of uh, Biomarin in its infancy, and I think it's going to be a good speculative bet even up here. 
Uh, amazing. I know it sounds like I like everything, but you know what? I got three good stocks that people mentioned, so I do like them. All right, the market's in beast mode, and I think next week's potential catalyst can help it charge higher. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, as Wyndham White gears up for a spinoff, wondering how much upside could be ahead? I'll reveal. Then after banner year for the S&P 500, do the losers on the, in the average have something to offer? I'm digging through the rubble to see which, if any, of the worst performers could be worth owning in the new year. And Constellation Brands' earnings didn't have investors cheering. But maybe there's more to meet the eye than these numbers are showing you. I'm going to sit down with the CEO of one of my favorite stocks. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. We love a good breakup here on Mad Money. There are few things better than when a company decides to split itself into two smaller, more digestible pieces in order to unlock value. It caught our attention last August when Wyndham Worldwide, symbol W-Y-N, one of the world's largest hospitality companies that you might recognize as Ramada or Days Inn, some other brands, as well as being the number one purveyor of timeshare and vacation rental properties, announced it was breaking itself up. Wyndham's a longtime Kramer fave. And last year, we learned that it's going to spin off its hotel division as a separate business, Wyndham Hotel Group, in order to become a pure play on timeshares and vacation rentals. Now, I was pretty bullish about the story at the time, and the stock's given us a 9% gain since the deal was announced. But if you were thinking the upside here is exhausted, think again. Wyndham Worldwide has more room to run with its breakup coming sometime in the first half of this year. How do I know that? Because we've seen this kind of move before. In fact, it's almost eerie how similar Wyndham's situation is to what Marriott International did. That was back in 2011. Back then, Marriott had both a hotel business and a vacation rental business, and they spun off the latter as Marriott Vacations. If you own both parts of the breakup, you made a killing, and I think the pin action will go right to Wyndham. See, I, it, it's worth looking at this Wyndham through the prism of the Marriott Vacations spinoff. They're not perfect analogs, but to quote the late, great Mark Twain, who, by the way, really holds up well, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So how have the two Marriott's, to use the analog, done since the breakup at the end of 2011? Well, Marriott International, the hotel business, has seen its stock more than quadruple, surging from $27 to $134 for a monster 394% gain. And if you think that's good, you ain't seen nothing yet because Marriott Vacations has done even better, skyrocketing from $18 to $134 over the same period. That's a Titanic 642% gain. House of pleasure. We're glad we got on that bandwagon early on. Now, to be fair, this has been a phenomenal period for the broader stock market, but both Marriott's have left the averages in the dust. S&P 500's rallied roughly 130% over the same time frame. More to the point, maybe the best comparison here is Wyndham Worldwide itself, which is more than tripled since the end of 2011. And hey, a 238% gain is great, but both Marriott International and Marriott Vacations have done a heck of a lot better over that same period. The hospitality company that broke itself up did better than the one that stayed together. 
Now, I'm not saying that Wyndham will give you a quadruple over the next five years if you hang on to both parts of the company after the spinoff. <laughs> That's well, that would be too rosy. History doesn't repeat itself that exactly. And there are some important differences between Wyndham and Marriott that I'm going to get to in a minute. But I think it's important to acknowledge this precedent because it gives us still one more reason to be bullish about Wyndham's prospects. And look, I think this stock would be worth owning even if Marriott hadn't already proven that this kind of breakup in the hospitality industry can work wonders for your share price. For years, Wyndham's been an incredibly well-run company, and that's thanks to the leadership of CEO Steve Holmes, a frequent guest of Mad Money. He's retiring. After the breakup, it's only going to get better. Right now, if a money manager wants a pure play on hotels or vacation rentals, they don't buy Wyndham because it's neither fish nor fowl. But after the spinoff, you'll have two high-quality, easy-to-understand, easy-digestible plays on two distinct businesses. Wyndham Hotel Group will actually be one of the largest lodging businesses in the world, with a global portfolio of about 20 brands and more than 8,100 locations, more than anyone else in the industry. You go to the website, you'll see all the brands. It's a very easy-to-navigate easy website, by the way. Now, they're not all like, you know, we're not talking Four Seasons here. Uh, Ramada, Days Inn, Super 8, Howard Johnson, among others. But in a world where many consumers are still very much focused on getting the best values, these low-cost offerings have become very popular. Don't forget, millennials don't want to be in the room. They want to be out there Instagramming. The room means very little to them. The core of Wyndham, though, is the vacation rental business. And I think it's going to finally get the credit it deserves once they spin off hotels as a separate company. Wyndham's the world's largest developer and make marketer of vacation ownership products. They have over 2,200. I'm sorry, they have over 2,200. They have over 2,200. I'll figure it out. They have over 220 resorts across the world where they sell timeshares and they also run their own vacation exchange networks so that you can stay at someone else's timeshare. This has become a very popular business. Just look at how well Marriott Vacations has performed since it was spun off from its parent company and it's going like a weed. Sign me up. Now, as much as I like Wyndham, the Marriott comparison is far from perfect. See, vacation rentals were a very much small part of Marriott's business, whereas Wyndham's split is about 50-50 between hotels and vacation rentals. More important, there may be less upside here, simply because Wyndham is approaching this breakup from a position of strength. The stock's been a fabulous performer for the past decade. They're not spinning off the hotel business because they have to. They're doing it because they think it's a real good idea. Marriott was a very different story, by the way. The company only embraced a spin-off for a couple of weak years, and a lot of its post-breakup strength had to do with a long-awaited recovery in the industry. The other thing, of course, is that the economy was pretty fragile when Marriott broke itself up. So a lot of those gains have to do with the dramatic acceleration in commerce since then, particularly for the Marriott vacations worldwide portion. Whereas right now, the economy's on fire, and while I still think it's going to continue to improve, you, you, you know, let's just say that there's not as much room left for improvement. And even though the lodging industry is in very good shape right now, you know there's going to be a lot of hand-wringing about the rise of upstarts like Airbnb, which dogged Marriott vacations when we started recommending the stock many moons ago. Those worries have really hurt the group endlessly, and they haven't been able to stop Wyndham's relentless march higher yet. But every now and then you can imagine some analysts using them as a cudgel to knock down the stock. I mean, look, look, this morning, the analyst at Macquarie published a piece about how the market hasn't always been kind to the timeshare portion of lodging company breakups, uh, at least not right out of the gate. Macquarie notes that timeshare stocks actually tend to go lower once they begin trading in standalone entities. Specifically, in the first couple of weeks after breakup, the timeshare portion tends to get slammed. And that is what happened, by the way, to Marriott Vacations, too, before it came back with a vengeance. I say fabulous. 
If you don't already own Wyndham Worldwide, you might want to wait for the breakup so that you can add to your position if we get a much-needed post-spinoff pullback in the timeshare division. Now, the Macquarie piece did do some damage. It pushed the stock down almost 3% today. But I like another big piece of research, a bullish and, to me, rigorous note from Stiefel where they were forced to raise their price target and increase their earnings estimates, in part because of tax reform. I bet that's the first of many number bumps. Here's the bottom line. Wyndham Worldwide has been on fire, but with the spinoff of its hotel biz coming up next quarter, I think it's got more room to charge. If Wyndham follows in the footsteps of the Marriott breakup, even a little bit, then Chapter 2, the breakup, could be just as good as Chapter 1. The marriage. All right, much more mad money ahead. The S&P's record run couldn't lift all stocks out of the slump. Tonight, I'm listing the biggest losers to see if any of the plays could be worth owning. Then, could the stars be dimming for the stock of one of my face, Constellation Brands, or was today's drop a chance to buy? I'm going to sit down with the CEO fresh off the report. And are you an observant investor? I'll tell you why it's actually beginning to make you money. So stick with Kramer. Last night, we reviewed the 10 best performers in the S&P 500 in 2017. As part of my annual January ritual, I evaluate the biggest winners and losers from the previous year. Tonight, we need to look at the losers. Sell, sell, sell. Because we're going to get a little bit of mixture. See what happened in 2017. Now, in a bull market, it's not that easy to be a real seller dweller. You have to commit some pretty grievous sins to end up on this list. But remember, this is an incredibly forgiving market. So it's important not to get too judgmental, lest we miss some real opportunities. And I am telling you, there are some bye, bye, bye. In, this, in this list. Case in point, Foot Locker. Down 34% for 2017. Even as it rallied hard from its bottom over the past couple months. But that just erased the most recent leg of the decline. A shortfall back in August took the stock down from $47 to $31 in just two days. It was so hideous, you might have thought people simply stopped shopping there altogether. Now the stock's come nearly all the way back to where it was before it crashed over the summer. The reason? Foot Locker simply said same-store sales are running steady in the third quarter, and there's no further degradation. That's all it takes when the expectations get too low. Foot Locker's an excellent company. Imagine what they say if things actually got better as opposed to just stayed the same. All right, it's not as good as Ulta or Costco, Burlington, Walmart, Children's Place, but certainly one that can engineer a comeback. I just wish it hadn't already rebounded so much from its lows. If not for that, I'd say, hey, domestic retailer, tax reform, better consumer, why not just buy it? But I would like to wait for a little bit of a pullback. On the other hand, the next worst performer, Signet Jewelers, another mall dweller, is a mess. Its stock was down 40% last year. Signet, which you may know as Jared, Sterling, Zales, K Jewelers, had long been considered more of a financier of jewelry than a jewelry store. Last February, the Washington Post ran a brutal piece about alleged sexual harassment and sexual discrimination at the company. Not long after, the CEO, Mark Light, who's been on the show, retired for health reasons. His successor, Gina Drosos, is trying to clean things up. But sales and earnings do look like they've peaked, making me think that this stock represents neither value nor growth. I wish the new CEO luck, but at best, this one is what I would call work in progress with a just okay business model and, yes, a tarnished reputation. 
hard pass. Eighth, advanced auto parts is a real quandary. The auto parts retailers had been an amazing fast-growing oligopoly, but the whole group got stung this past year, first because of a mild winter, and then because of do-it-yourself consumers starting ordering their parts factory direct via Amazon. However, now we got all these blizzards all over the place, so the year-over-year comparisons will be fabulous. Does ice and snow really do a number on your car? I think the industry's ripe for consolidation. So advanced auto parts down 41% last year seems intriguing especially with a good management team and a turnaround plan in place. I think it's worth speculating on for either a turn or a takeover. Next up, there's a tremendous glut of natural gas in this country. There's just too much supply. Even with all the new demand from power plants replacing coal with gas and new natural gas export terminals opening up, which brings me to Chesapeake Energy. It's down 43% last year. And even with the blisteringly cold weather, I, I doubt it will be able to maintain a sustained rally. Their main product is simply way too plentiful. Now, while the fossil fuel stocks have been making a comeback, the natural gas part of the group has severely lagged until this week because of cold weather. If you're a believer, though, I suggest owning capital oil and gas, very high quality, Apache, understated natural gas company, not Chesapeake, which is a bedraggled security because of a hideous balance sheet. Six worse? Jeez, another one that's really interesting to me, Mattel. Lots of investors were huddling in the stock, thinking that the dividend had to be secure. They didn't realize that Mattel's product line, including Barbie, was under assault at the same time that the biggest brick-and-mortar retailer, Toys R Us, was going bankrupt. So the dividend disappeared and took much of Mattel's market cap with it. The best thing that could happen would be this toy maker accepting a bid from Kramer fave Hasbro. Something that makes a lot of sense with the stock down 44% last year. But with a new CEO just installed, I think that that's become highly unlikely. A lot of bottom-feeding investors are taking heart that Mattel hired a very good Google executive, who I'd love to come on, have come on the show. And that's Marga Georgidis. She's just a, a, could be a terrific turnaround expert. You know what you got to do here? I say you wait to see what happens with Toys R Us. This stock goes lower if they decide to liquidate their stores. Now, we've covered GE, fifth from the bottom, ad nauseum. Just remember, I now regard GE as a play on oil with a healthcare kicker. Oil's going higher, and that's going to give new CEO John Flannery some breathing room. Let's see what he says on the company's upcoming conference call. It's going to determine a lot. Fourth from the seller? Eh, why don't I talk about Envision Healthcare. Here's a company that reported a miserable third quarter and then told you it might be up for sale. It's taking a strategic review. Envision is a physician services business that got hurt by both Hurricanes Irma and Harvey. Although I think costs, especially labor costs, are too high for this small company. Your hope here might be a bid. And that's something that's being speculated on because the company pulled out of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference that starts next week that I talked about at the top of the show. That said, if business is bad, or at least as bad as it looks, who the heck would want to buy Envision, even with the stock down 45% last year? Hmm, let me rethink that. Because number 49, 497 on the no-hit parade, Scana, the South Carolina utility company, just caught a sweet premium takeover bid from Dominion Energy this very week. So miracles do happen. We spoke to Tom Farrell, CEO of Dominion, last night and came away thinking he might be stealing this company given how good the region is and how poorly Scana's been run. It's a rare instance of a stock that was down 46% in one year, immediately making you money in the next now, I'd ring the register and scan if I owned it, and I would buy the company that's trying to buy it. I'd buy shares in Dominion, which has been hammered because of the scan a bit and the weakness in the whole utility group. The 499th worst performance S&P last year, household name Under Armour, down 50%. This former market darling has been crushed by its own peripatetic management and the rebirth of Nike as a technological force, although some people say it never went away. I mean, they just, they were, you stick the finger in Nike's eye, they come back hard. But we don't know if it's too late. Nike's just beating them no matter what. 
If Plank's really all in and focused, and I think he is, and if the stock pulls back to where it was just a few weeks ago, it's had a major rebound in the last 10 days. You could have a good trade going in the quarter. Finally, bring in the rear number 500 is Range Resources, another natural gas company with a balance sheet almost as bad as Chesapeake's. This one can bounce, but once again, there are much better natural gas stocks you can own for the long term. In a meaner, darker market, I'd say don't bother with any of these. But we're in a market where last year's third worst performer gets a takeover bid right out of the chute, where retail's now looking up, where the weather's so cold that it's turning losers to winners. The bottom line, weirdly, almost every one of these losers has a decent speculative thesis. Now, it's not exactly a buy list, but you know what? If you made it through 2017 with these, you might as well see what the beginning of 2018 brings before you jettison them, just in case another Scanna-style fairy tale comes true. Oh, our old friend Larry in Massachusetts. Larry! Jim, Happy New Year, first of all. I just followed your lovely wife on Instagram, and it's great to see the beautiful world that you have built together through her eyes. L.C. Detweiler has been in India for about six months now, so you can take a look at her uh, Instagram. She's having a great time. Even Heather Gaines, who's in charge of Instagram uh, observation, not the actual product for us, thinks she's a great follow. Thank you, Larry. Don't miss too many trips with her, okay? No, I didn't. Yeah, she knew I couldn't go away for two weeks. What was that all about? I, we'll have a little talk to this weekend. I know. I, I've been looking for a good entry point on Insight Corporation. Goldman's projection today implies a 170 price target. And since you said don't give up 10 points higher in November, do you still feel the pipeline with multiple phase threes and twos? as well as uh, their partnership with Lilly and Novartis, justifies an initiation. You know, it, you know, Larry, I really think Insight is just really oversold. I agree with the Goldman thing. You know, when I saw that today, I said, man, maybe I'm not nuts. I think Insight's a good value. Larry, I think it's worth a buy, and thank you. And L.C. Detweiler will soon be home from all the different uh, cities that she visited that a lot of Americans don't go to. How about Matt in Louisiana, please? Matt. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Jim. Same, Matt. Uh, listen, a couple years ago, I want your opinion. I purchased some Smith & Wesson stock, which is now AOBC, and it's kind of tanked. I don't want to get rid of it. Uh, so I just keep kind of telling myself the Buffett quote about if you don't want to own it for 10 years, don't own it for 10 minutes. What's your thoughts? Well, I think you're going to need a uh, change in the House, or the Senate, or the President, because this is a stock you buy when the Democrats are trying to make it so you can't buy guns. And then you sell it when you can buy guns. I wish there were more to it, but there really isn't. And that's what I have to say. Now, I wouldn't call this a buy list, but I think 2017's losers in the S&P, boy, they've got a lot of speculative theses going there, especially in a market that tends to forget anything bad. Much more mad money ahead. ahead. uh, Is today's decline? I may have, oh, I'm on cleanse, so I can't have this either. But uh, is is the decline of Constellation brand something maybe you should uh, buy? I'm sitting down with the CEO to see if it could be a buying opportunity. Then, how the cold snap in the Northeast could give you your next big investing idea. And all your calls are rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. Plus, a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer. Do we need to start being a little concerned about longtime Kramer fave Constellation Brands? For those of you who don't know, this company imports some of the most popular Mexican beers into the United States, Corona, Modelo, and personal fave Pacifico. They also have a big wine business, including the Red Hot Prisoner brand, and some hard liquor, too, like Bar San Miguel uh, favorite 
Casa Noble. And they also got High West Whiskey and Svedka Vodka. And they've got a lot of new names that seem pretty darn interesting to me. Now, long-term, Constellation stock has been one of the best performers around. It's climbed from 20 to 220 over the past seven years. Company's got a terrific track record of reporting fantastic numbers. But this morning, Constellation reported a revenue miss. And even though its earnings were much better than expected, an 11-cent beat off $1.89 basis, the stock got hurt. It was down 2.6% today. How deserving was this decline? On the one hand, management raised their full-year earnings guidance. On the other hand, the revenues were a tad weaker by their own admission. And they gave some tepid uh, commentary about the ailing, it's a relative thing, wine and spirits business in the conference school. More important, when a company that's this good disappoints in any way, you know the stock's going to get hit. That said, I'm a believer in Constellation. I think the pullbacks are rare and need to be bought. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Rob Sands, the president and CEO of Constellation Brands. Find out more about the quarter and how his company's prospects look here. Mr. Sands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. All right, Rob, I I think a lot of the analysts buried the lead. The beer business is real strong, isn't it? Yeah, Jim, the beer business is exceptionally strong. Uh, We posted fantastic results with uh, depletion growth that sales to retail uh, at 9%, 9 9.1%, in fact, which was right square on uh, expectations. So consumer takeaway also is extremely strong with uh, our IRI figures for the quarter being uh, north of 16% uh, consumer takeaway growth in that channel. So very strong beer business. But you did say that you felt the wine and spirits business, I'm going to quote you, were a bit muted. And I did think, Jesus, something happened to wine. Are people like, is the taste turning here? Because wine's pretty popular in my neck of the woods. Yeah, what we said was um, that we expected our wine and spirits business to come in at the lower end of the uh, guidance range, which was uh, sales growth of 5 to 7%. And um, that was largely uh, because we're seeing a bit of a slowdown, really just temporarily, I believe, or let me say in the short term on wine. It may be uh, a number of factors. Uh, the low end of wine seems in particular to be slowing down quite a bit, while at the same time, the high end of wine, um, an even higher end than previously, is picking up in terms of growth. So the overall market right now is down a couple of hundred basis points, but over any longer period of time, the business and the uh, the wine business in general is growing about 4%. We really don't anticipate that it's going to grow any, any less than that um, as we look into the future. So... Uh, we think that any immediate uh, weakness or softening is just a temporary thing. Okay. Now, it, there's a lot of excitement here about your investment in Canopy. This is a first-mover advantage into uh, cannabis uh, in Canada. You point-blank said, listen, you're not going to do anything illegal in the United States. But this is, you said, a learning experience. What can it ultimately mean for your company, though? Well, you know, obviously, or maybe not so obvious to everybody, but to us it is, cannabis is going to be a large market on a worldwide basis. Um, in the U.S., it's not legal at the current time, but obviously uh, numerous states are legalizing it for recreational purposes. Canada is going to legalize it uh, for recreational purposes uh, at the beginning of this coming summer. So it's clear cut that it's going to be a big market. And we think that it only makes sense to position ourselves to participate in that in the beverage end of the business. 
Now, uh, let me just try to understand this. I mean, the state, the sovereign state of Colorado, so to speak, where Coors used to be brewed in those mountains. That's all we ever thought about, Coors. Can a state trump the federal government and say, you know what? We welcome Rob Sands and Constellation. We want cannabis beer. I would say the answer to that is no, in that uh, because we have uh, federal licenses and things that rely on the federal government, uh, we have to make sure that we're in compliance with federal law at all times, even though the state law may uh, allow it. So until it's legal on a federal level, we won't be able to participate in the U.S. market. All right. Now, there are a couple of things that are going on that, to me, are are overlooked again because you're always doing new stuff. A high-end rum, an American oak bourbon bottle sounds good to me. Now, what can that mean? I mean, is there really a market for that? Well, sure. Um, you know, high-end rum, a premium rum, is, is a category that uh, we think is ready to, to take off. We're seeing all sorts of brown spirits. First, it was bourbon. Second, it's rye. Um, other forms of American whiskey are uh, becoming popular, and we think that um, high-end uh, rum is only uh, right behind that. So we thought that this was a good opportunity to participate in, in that category with a, with a great brand called The Real McCoy. And I'd say the same thing for um, high-end uh, brandy. Uh, we're seeing some early signs that um, brandy, like uh, brown spirits, uh, such as bourbon and rye, uh, we're seeing brandy now begin to take off as well, the higher end of the market. So uh, our ventures group made an investment in a high-end brandy as well. So we're positioning ourselves to take advantage of the growth in all the categories that are going to be hot in the future. Got it, Rob. Well, I've got to tell you, periodically, there's been uh, one line or another that's not been right that gets you in the stock. You buy back the stock, $3 billion worth, and it's been a great opportunity. Rob Sands, President and CEO of Constellation Brands. I don't think anything has changed here. There have been periodic differences in a quarter, and they've all worked to buy the stock. We have money's back here from the break. It is time! It's time for the Light Rail Clippers! My breath goes running and shit. And then Light Rail's over. Are you ready, Skiing? Dad, it's time for the Light Rail Clippers! I'm going to start with Bud in Ohio. Bud! Hey, a happy, bullish New Year's booyah to you. Well, I got it. It is bullish. How can I help? Jim, last month you blessed my stock as a spec on possible industry consolidation, but that was before tax reform. It's a small cap, domestic, profitable, and already committed to paying bountiful dividends. And it should benefit hugely from the tax cuts. So tell me, Ski Daddy, is all the good news baked in to B&G Foods? No, no, they got that green giant. Just when millennials decided they wanted to start chopping in that whole aisle, that's a good buy, that stock. I know they had you know, they had to do some equity and a couple of shortfalls, but I like B&G here. Let's go to Don in Virginia. Don. Hi, uh, Jim. Thanks for all you you and your staff do for us. Staff looks uh, good every day. They even got me an apple and two oranges because of the cleanse I'm on. What's up? Oh, <laughs> uh, A A R I. That's my like your take on it. It's got a high yield. That's a spread flag. Uh, which one is it? I'm sorry. I was too busy focused on the cleanse. What was this? A R I. 
Oh, yeah, Paul. No, no, we don't even know what they really own, and that's the problem with these things. They're just too dicey for me, unless I have a read on what they really own. How about we go to Al? I know that sounds like OWL, but that's because I'm from Philadelphia. Al in Florida. Al. Hi, Jim. This is Al from Port Charles, Florida, and I want to thank you for all you do for us and your wisdom. Thank you. Uh, I am interested in KMI long term. You know what, KMI? What can I say? It's it's gonna do well just because we're we're out of pipe. It's not my favorite. I like Magellan Midstream Petroleum uh, Partners MMP, which was uh, someone initiated with a sell today, and that person ought to come see me. They ought to come see me at Bar San Miguel because I will not buy them a drink. Let's go to Larry in Illinois. Larry. Booyah, Jimmy. Booyah. Hey, it's an honor to talk to you, Jim. You're the best. Thank you. Uh, Jim, I like your opinion on Royal Dutch Shell. Uh, well, you know, triple- Royal Dutch Shell is not my favorite, but you know what? It's not bad. I mean, I know that sounds like damning with faint, faint praise, but I've just been so impressed with big caps with Chevron. I mean, I, I you know, I renamed uh, uh, Bug Chevron, but he's not playing. Look, he doesn't answer to Chevron. He answers to Bug. What's with him? Let's go to Nancy in Wisconsin. Nancy. Yes, hello, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for taking my call, and I look forward to your program every day. Thank you. I own Xilinx. Well, boy, you ever lucky. You know why? Because Goldman went from a hold to a buy to conviction buy in one day. Now, Moshe Gabrielle did retire, but they are getting some really good business in the high-end communication stuff. I think you own it. Let's go to, oh, no, and that's Ladies the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Hey, they're napping! Look, either they uh, they don't want to say anything good about the market. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and Bitcoin! Hey, Kramer, how about Bitcoin? Not feeling good about sleeping, for heaven's sake! And believe me, I would if I were doing this show at home. I do the show at home in front of a mirror lot for like hours. You got one pencil, okay? You break it. I mean, you know, do you have two pencils? Well, you wake up out there. It's not a bull. It's in beast mode. Baked in. My derriere. Baked in. And I'm done with that. I'm done with hearing about baked in. Oh, well. I'm going. Oh. Yes, it shouldn't be this easy. We shouldn't be able to say, hey, baby, it's cold outside. Then go buy the stock of Canada Goose or VF Corp and actually make money. We shouldn't be able to realize, hey, blizzards are real tough on cars. Time to buy an oil parts retailer and actually profit from it. Nor should we be able to pick up, rack up a gain in Home Depot stock because it does well when roofs sag and pipes burst and you need to shovel your yard. The market's supposed to be too fast for this kind of strategy to work. But somehow that's exactly what's happening. It's working. Now, those of us who spent the last 17 years accepting you simply can no longer profit from what I call knowledgeable observation are now struggling to come to grips with a market that's reminiscent of a very different time. Before we became so cynical and jaded about the idea that stocks no longer necessarily trade in sync with their underlying companies. Now, I'm not saying the stock picking's back and index funds and ETFs are dead. No, those days are never coming back. 
There are too many trillions of dollars invested in indices and billions more coming their way. But I am saying that it's possible to pick a group of stocks that are better than average by just keeping your eyes open. And the disparities in the performance versus the broader market are pretty shocking. Now, look, we've had it for a small group of stocks. I mean, you know, we've had it for FANG for ages. The market caps of these companies are, as my writing partner Matt Horwin mentioned to me recently, seem to suggest that the law of large numbers may have somehow been repealed. It's incredible that their valuations have gotten to almost mythic proportions. Facebook at $543 billion. Oh, Zuckerberg says he's got to fix it. It's okay to me. Amazon at $592 billion. Alphabet at $767 billion. Apple at $898 billion. You might think these would have peaked at some point, but instead they represent the winners in, in, in their almost winner-take-all, loser-take-none categories. But now it's broader than just FANG. It's cold out, so you buy natural gas stocks for trade, you do make money. Trump says he's going to open exploration well for all our shores. Probably totally unlikely, but you buy giant uh, oil service company Slumberjay, you make money. McDonald's offers a dollar menu that's cheaper than what others have. You buy, you make money. Some guy on TV says Amazon's going to acquire Target. You buy, you make money. A president favors dispense money. You buy the defense stocks, you make money. I could list many more observational opportunities that couldn't exist in any other market. They would either have already been picked over or simply wouldn't work because the companies would almost always disappoint you when they finally got to the equivalent of the finish line, the quarterly earnings report. That's changed. Thanks to the trampoline of index money, coupled with low interest rate competition, and new investors actually coming back to the market to buy individual stocks, stock picking has become fun again and also rewarding, provided that you aren't buying total clunkers with bad balance sheets that don't deserve to go up no matter what. And who can blame people? We're living in an era where Elon Musk can constantly miss his own projections, yet Tesla stock goes ever higher. We've got marijuana companies with barely a lick of sales, that have $6 billion valuations. So why shouldn't a company that has a good product that can make hay when the sun shines see its stock go higher? I point all of this out because I know that observations aren't per se rigorous. And for almost two decades, picking stocks with no rigor almost always cost you money. I don't know how long the obvious will keep being profitable. Probably it'll stop when everyone realizes what's happening and graybeards start giving up and buying stocks. But at least for the moment, simple common sense is actually making people money in this market. And that's pretty darn wonderful if you ask me. But enjoy it while it lasts. I cannot wait until Sunday night. I am going to try to get real-time Jensen Wong, the CEO of NVIDIA, Oregon State's own, one of the greatest people in our country when it comes to leadership and technology. How can you not want to hear what NVIDIA has to say? Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.